Good evening, parrots and parakeets. I hope you are all good. We have part two coming up here of the interview with my good friend Ryan HK, photographer, who is works over in Calgary. Um, you have no doubt listened to, or you've hopefully listened to part one. If not, it is the episode before this one. And in this one, we go a little bit further away from photography and delve into some of his other interests in terms of knife making or, or knives and leatherworking and his motorbikes and how they all link in with his lifestyle now. So without much further ado, I shall pass you back over. And this is part two with Ryan HK. Thank you very much guys for listening and I will see you at the next episode. Thanks very much. Um, so you mentioned the knives there and uh, I, I remember you sent me a picture of the uh, that Damascus one that you got and then within within two minutes you were like yeah I'm going to make a sheath for it as well um, and I and noticed that you were doing leather working uh, I don't know when when I first saw or what the first one that I saw was, it was a couple of years ago when you started or when I saw you started dabbling um, I don't know how long that had been uh, since you're doing it, but how, how did you how did you get into that one as well? So you got leatherworking is not exactly one of those things that you see, well, especially over here in any way that um, is particularly widespread or wide, widely known about. Is it different over in Canada? Or? Oh man, nobody does that shit. <laughs> like, if, like if you work with leather, that's stupid. You can get Kydex and just mold it in your oven. Like, yeah, I guess if I was some sort of tactical militia guy. Um, you know what? I don't know. I think the, I got into leather working like four years ago and then I got, a, I got out of it cause I got frustrated that I wasn't as, um, this is a personality flaw or trade or whatever you want to call it. I have to be really good at what I do or I quit. <laughs> oh, I know that it's feeling. Like, I know that feeling. I, I get to a certain level and if I can't go any further, I'm like, yeah, all right, fuck it. I'm over it. And, uh, you know, I've done it with like golf, with archery, with, with lots of shit and leather work was the same. Like I was making these pieces that I was really proud of until I saw someone else's and then I was like, my shit sucks. And I, and, and I downstairs, I have like a Rubbermaid bin full of fucking leather work. It's probably like kind of cool, but I look at it and I was like, nah, that's bullshit. That, that, that shit sucks. Um, so I got out of it for a while, but the only reason I got into it was I wanted to make a saddlebag for my chopper because I was so cheap. I didn't want to pay like $600 for someone to do one. So I started looking up like leather craft and whatever. And I found this like heavy tandy leather and uh, it's not too far from the house. It's like 20 minutes. And so I bombed over there and Chantal and I uh, went in and we saw these like beginner leather kits, deluxe leather kits and all this bullshit. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's just buy a bunch of these. So we bought two kits and we like started to play and we made like really terrible wallets and shitty purses <laughs> and like whatever we could make and then i bought like the the chinese shitty kitted like knife shit yeah, you don't yeah, have to yeah. cut anything it's all pre-cut all you have to do is like stain it and stitch it together and the tooling i was terrible at so i made a bunch of those because i have uh or had some like vintage hunting knives that um I used to uh, a mix of like collect and actually use. Um, I've I've carried a I've carried a knife since I was like 12, um, 10 maybe. My dad got me my first like Swiss Army knife, and I've carried one every day since. So uh, I actually do carry a a knife uh, every day. Right now it's a Helle Utver uh, fixed blade, like handmade Norwegian. It's kind of like a bushcraft knife. Um, but I had these like Bowie knives and these. Uh, vintage hunting knives that all had like crappy old worn rotted sheaths. So I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start to get, I'm going to make my own sheath for these. And the first few, I was like, these are so awesome. And then you look and you're like, no, they're terrible. Like a week later, you realize they're garbage. Um, so I got out of it for a while and then I probably only got back into it. Like an, when did I send you that photo? Like a couple months ago. Yeah, it wasn't very long ago. Yeah. I just, um, I got that. Hele Utver from Chantel as a gift. And this like Norwegian sheath that they give you is just like, it looks like someone's uncle put it together in like six minutes. It's just like a folded piece of leather that they got wet and then jammed the knife in so it would kind of form fit. But there's no like latch on it or strap or anything. And it's like, fuck man, I wear these things every day. I'm going to lose this knife if I use this sheath. 
So I looked on the old interwebs and uh, found a couple cool designs and combined a, 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 like something that I liked about this one and something that I liked about that one. And then I spent like, I don't, I don't even know, man, like probably 10 or 12 hours making the sheet. Oh, wow. And I stained it and I put the leather sheen on it and it looked amazing. And I wore it for like a week and then I kept breaking the belt loop off of it. Oh, nice. Because I used these like small rivets because they looked the best. And uh, it just kept like I'd sit down and it would pop and it was like one of the four rivets would go every time. Yeah. So I started from scratch and I went into Tandy and I bought um, like a half shoulder of seven out, like really thick leather. And then I bought some Chicago screws instead of rivets. Um, and I retraced it out to be a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. And then I bought an actual edging tool to make it look yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. I probably spent same amount of time on that one because I still like, I like my knife sheaths to be formed to the knife. I don't just like making like little slip in sleeves. I like them to look like they belong with that yeah. knife. Yeah. So I sealed this. I, I basically take like boiling hot, like tea water and I put the leather in a metal bowl and I just douse that leather and then burn the shit out of my hands, pulling that <laughs> leather out, putting the knife in and then clamping it down and squeezing it. And basically, like, I'll watch Netflix and just work this leather into the shape of the knife. And then I clamp it overnight, and I let it dry out. And some, well, this time of year, fuck, it takes, like, three or four days for that stuff to dry. Um, so I just wait for it to dry out naturally. And then um, I don't know if you've ever done that, like, wet forming, but on the heavy, like, 7-8 ounce stuff, uh, it turns it into, like, wood. Like, you can smack yeah. the, the sheath against things, and it sounds solid. So I wet formed the actual sheath itself, and then I didn't wet form like any of the straps or, or anything like that. And I just kind of plugged away, and I, I've had that sheath for like maybe a month now. I wear that, I wear that knife every day, and I changed it so that it's pivot point. Um, so instead of the belt loop being fixed, it's on a single Chicago screw, and the, the knife will actually pivot. Oh, so when clever. I sit down, I can turn the knife, and it doesn't poke into anything. Ah, clever. Because I'm some sort of mad genius. There we go. No, actually, I saw it on a knife online. I was like, that's the, oh my God, that's the smartest thing I've ever seen. The interwebs you again. Rotate it. So the leather crafting, like, I, I mean, ever since I was a kid, I love working with my hands. Like, uh, <laughs> as frustrated as my dad got, I used to take his shit and take it apart because I loved, like, loved disassembling things. And then trying to put them back together and usually and have like a part or two left over, which he would then, you know, get really upset and try and rebuild himself or have to go buy and replace a power drill or whatever I decided to tear apart. <laughs> and uh, I've just, I've always loved working with my hands and the leather craft thing with the motorcycles, it let me make like gas can holders and Mexican blanket um, tie down wraps for my handlebars for like the choppers and stuff. So it just kind of like it worked in gauntlets for your wrists and, you know, whatever else, like little things, billfolds, business card holders, that kind of stuff. And it was just a little creative outlet that still let me be mildly creative, even though, like I say, I look at some people's yeah, like I, some I, of the stuff out there is incredible. Leather, leather craft guy here. and Man, I look at his shit and then I'm just like, I'm, I, I make sure that my sheath is like tucked under my hoodie or I don't pull my wallet out around him. And it's just like, no, no, you're not. You're not seeing any of this. So, is is all your stuff HK branded as well? Have you got an HK brand? Uh, no. What I used to use was a polar bear stamp. Yeah, right. I totally got to I got to get like a like a a hot brand or a, a press brand made. Um, I finally got some die cuts done. Yeah, it's perfect. Um. I had like 20 die cuts made so I could put them all over my gear and everything else yesterday. Um, yeah, they look I smart. I saw, the, uh, I saw the helmet ones, the, uh, the gloss yeah. black on the, on the matte black helmet. Yeah, so I run, I run those in gloss black and uh, I threw them on the pro photos because they're flat black and it's just like it's there so you know it's there but it's only there in like certain light because um, I kind of like that like subtlety. Uh, I've always liked like a high gloss on a flat finish of the same color yeah yeah and i've seen business cards that are like bone white but with gloss white writing and you're just like that's so done and then you turn it sideways and you're like ah oh, it is kind of cool but not I, I think i'd be frustrated if i was trying to read something off of it yeah so maybe I did, I did business 
It's like those 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 uh, particular photographs that make you look twice because uh, you're not quite sure what they are. They they get, capture your imagination or just keep you keep your attention for a little just that little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. So it was just kind of like one of those things that I thought would be neat. So like got a bunch of like die cuts made, and I actually was looking for a stamp yesterday too because I did not buy that. Uh, truck that I wanted to buy, so I, like, <laughs> I feel like I need to spend money right now. I'm gonna buy a bunch of little things because I didn't get to buy what I wanted. Retail so therapy. I'm, up, I'm, I'm upgrading my phase one and a couple other things, and just gonna stare out at my stupid <laughs> Pathfinder and not be happy all winter. How does retail therapy look as a photographer? I need a new camera. It's amazing, right? Like <laughs> the other day, I was like, oh, I need to leave the house, and I kind of need to do something. Well, I'll take the bike because that's more fun. Oh, well, you know what I'll do? I'll pick up the grid kit for my D1s because they'll fit in the back seat of the, like, the little trunk of the motorcycle. Yeah, I saw that photo. So, <laughs> so it was like, ah, spending money is great. And then I ordered one of those Lee Filters uh, Bellows lens hoods. For oh, sweet. ADs. Yeah, so I've used their filter system for, like, I don't know, like eight years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the double slot. But it always drives me nuts shooting even close towards the sun because you get that if you're on double, the flare is nasty. If you're on single, it's manageable, but it's still like it still washes out a significant portion yeah, of the frame. So I kind of looked online at a few different solutions, and I've been using matte boxes for cinema forever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know what? I know Lee Filters makes the Bellows one because I saw it in like a Joey L video. Like yeah, he uses ago. them all the time, doesn't he? And then, uh, yeah, I just saw his Lavenza, La Lavaza, that like coffee calendar video and um i saw that he's got the wide angle which i never shoot wider than the 80 mil anyway on that camera um so i just got the standard one from the camera store here and it was totally reasonably priced which is amazing because our dollar is so terrible right now um and it'll yeah let's not talk about um uh, conversion rates at the moment <laughs> yeah yeah you, you guys are just as, I mean, you're not as shit. Your dollars still look like 70% more than ours. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just one of those, like, you know what? It serves its purpose now, and I'm kind of tired of having to use, like, black foil around a section of of that Lee Filters holder. Yeah. So what I did was I bought the bellows that just attached to the holder. So now I'll get that lens hood feeling or um, result, okay. I guess, not feeling, that lens hood result. And still be able to use my sky gradient and then like a four or a six stop uh, resin filter. Because I use so many different, uh, not systems, I only use two, well, three systems, um, but so many different thread sizes, that's just a bitch to use anything. Like, I mean, I guess you could buy an 82 mil filter and then just fucking 800 yeah, different adapt it down. Uh, step down rings or step up rings. So. What I did instead was uh, I run either four by four or the four by five point six five or the four point or four by six if it's a Lee, and I run those in the matte boxes because um, then I can run all of those same filters on either the the phase, the Sony's or the Red, and I'm not like, oh, can you pass me the seventy two variable or oh, hey, pass me the eighty two mil ten stop. It's just like give me the case of ND four by fours or four by sixes, then I can just drop them in and get whatever I need yeah. instead of trying to like, okay, well today we're shooting this. So we should only bring these filters because it sucked, man. I had so many and I used to cheap out on the filters too, because you're just like, Oh, they're just fucking filters. What does it matter? And you're like, wait, the image starts there. Yeah. And then you get the so color it's cast. Terrible filter. It's a terrible image. It doesn't matter if you got a hundred megapixel or two megapixel. Um, so yeah, I switched to those. I just got one of those. Uh, Lee Bellows. Actually, I don't have it. I'm picking it up on Tuesday. So oh, so envious of uh, of you guys having a camera shop around the corner. Anyway, yeah, um, do you think do you think amazing. do you think it's important to have um, like multiple creative outlets? So you like you've got um, you've got all all your chop as well. You haven't got a chop anymore, have you? Because you you swapped it out. But um, you got your leatherworking and uh, the photography and the videography and everything. Is that do you think it's important to have lots of different creative outlets or would you be as happy if you only had one no no man i i love having multiple because if i have a busy 
week in photography, like working, I don't want to get creative and shoot photos on the weekend. I want another way to expel creative energy or frustration. So if I only had photography, I don't think I'd enjoy it as much as a job. Or if I only worked on motorcycles and had nothing else, I think I'd get tired of motorcycles. So for me to have photography and video as a career, but still enjoy them, and then have Leathercraft as a creative outlet and kind of like a fun, oh, I'll make something for a friend, or motorcycles, like, I mean, I don't really do choppers anymore, but the bike that I do have now, I'm putting away this week and tearing the tail section off, making a new aluminum tail section, and um, that'll keep my creativity outside of photos flowing over the winter, and then I have the gun range, which isn't creative, but it sure as shit a whole lot of fun. Um, it's certainly an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pistols, lots of fun, sidearms. Um, yeah, so this winter, like, to, to keep the creativity and to keep the the motorcycle part of my life going other than like a couple shoots in LA that I have. Uh, I'm tearing, I'm tearing this bike down and we're going to do a through with Dale through Mad Jap. We're doing a tail section for it. That'll let me put some gear strapped down on it and then a new tank and fairing. But then we're also on the triple trees. We're going to machine some pieces that allow us to have control arms that extend out over the front wheel. And oh, I'm going to be cool. able to hang a gimbal. Cool. So, I'll mount a camera and a, gim and a gimbal off the front of the motorcycle and the rear of the motorcycle, and that'll allow us for some of the commercial work uh, to run the motorcycle, obviously without sound because it's loud as shit, um, but it'll allow us to run like some cycling and some downhill or, or down road shots and tracking shots and that kind of stuff all from the bike while someone remote operates the gimbal. So it's kind of combining, <laughs> combining both things again where I get to keep my creativity outside of photography, but tie photography back in, in a, not a really a roundabout way, in a, in a direct way through, through gear. And uh, just one, one um, particular shoot uh, that I remember when you shot, I don't know whether, uh, whether the video is live, but you shot um, a ice skater and you made a um, remote controlled camera tracking car yeah for 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 the for the ice for the ice hockey dude um, yeah just so, talk a little bit more about that because that, that was a really cool what where did the idea for okay i need to do I, I really want to shoot this really low down how can i do it what was the story behind that um so since the creation of the affordable gimbal um i i use them all the time in shoots and Usually you're either like on a golf cart holding with one person holding it off the back and then another person controlling from the seat or you're running alongside of them or a few times like with the hockey guys. Um, I, I played hockey all the way through until university. And uh, so we'd be shooting this hockey stuff and we throw it on a gimbal and I throw my skates on and I'd be skating with these guys. But it gets really tough wow. to like skate a at speed with these actual athletes because I'm fucking old and out of shape. Um, but, but B, to, to control the camera where you want it, because you're focusing on, like, hauling ass down the ice and still holding a gimbal. Uh, and then it was the same with, like, the basketball players and the uh, track and field players and stuff. Like, we just couldn't figure out how to make it smooth and work and still have the shot angles that we wanted. So um, we saw... Uh, I think it's called the Tero, T-E-R-O, right? Free Fly Cinemas. Okay. Anyway, they took a small RC car and a Movi, and they mounted a, a Phantom and then a, an Epic to it. And uh, me with my tinkering motorcycle slash, uh, I have a giant RC background as well. I flew RC planes competitively for a number of years. So oh, wow. I, knew the, I knew the RC world, and I sure shit know the camera world. And I was like, fuck it, let's just buy a small Ronin um or a ronin uh and mount it to a large car well the large cars were like fifth scale and they were gas and the yep, vibration and yep. couldn't run them inside so noah found the traxxas x max which is like the largest electric rc car you can buy and uh so i said yeah let's just tear the tear the body off and it's just like those bodies are just two clips yep. right you pull the body off and there's just a chassis 
So I took chassis measurements and then weight calculations, talked to the guys at the modeling shop here and was like, how much weight can this support? What can this do? And they're like, well, what are you trying to do with it? And I explained, he's like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard, but it might be really heavy. And I was like, okay. So, uh, I used a mix of like aluminum and carbon fiber and whatever else. And I built the version one, which kind of looked like a police bomb robot. (laughs) Awesome. And it functioned, but it was shitty. Uh, and then version two, I cut the platform way down and saved a bunch of weight. And then we changed the suspension settings. And then version three, I cut it down even more. And then we changed the camera mount style. And then version four was what we used, um, the last few times. And we used it with, um, an NHL player, uh, on ice. The cool part about the Traxxas is it's fucking four wheel drive, man. So with the tires and shit, it works on ice. Although I did crash it like. 45, 50 kilometers an hour into a light stand in Toronto. Um, and everyone, like, including I- including this NHL guy, was just like, oh, man. And I was like, it's cool. It'll be back going in, like, five minutes. Nobody believed me. I went into the change room, like, the hockey locker room, took some zip ties and a bunch, fixed a guy back out on the ice. He's like, oh. I was like, yeah, man, we're ready to go again. <laughs> it was kind of cool because this guy who is, like, one of the top NHL players um, – was just like, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I've never seen it. And like, he's shot with Reebok and with all Nike, like all these crazy NHL companies and us as like a commercial production, we're like, that's kind of unreal that we just showed you what you thought was like the coolest thing you've ever seen in a photo shoot. Wow. And to me, I built, I built that shit in a garage, man. Like <laughs> literally on a workbench, just tore an RC car apart and then built all the parts. And we used a Terra deck. Um, so that allows us to, uh, take an HDMI signal out of the camera or out of the external recorder uh, and then transmit it to a monitor where the art director can just watch a TV and see what the camera sees. Oh, cool. So he can say, oh, let's go on a higher anger. Let's track faster. Or can we try this kind of sweeping move? And instead of like after the each shot having to like review the footage with him and or him or her and taking a really long time out of the shoot, it just lets him watch a monitor and be like, no, we want it wider. Oh, okay. Yeah, that looks great. Let's do it tighter. So it gives us like instant feedback. And, um, you know, I honestly, I drive the car and Noah operates the camera, uh, just for sheer sake of, uh, him being the director and me having the RC experience and having built it. Um, it was one of those things that was just like, fuck, I wonder if we can do this. And then I did it and it worked. So now we're working on, I guess it's version five, uh, totally different chassis. I'm having it CNC'd like custom made oh, yes. chassis, uh, out of billet aluminum and then, um, totally different wheel and shock suspension. It won't be four by four. It'll be two wheel, uh, cause we can get a smoother, uh, setup in and better turning radio. Oh, you know, just bullshit. It's just one of those like, yeah, we're going to try like fifth scale size because then we can put uh, the red weapon on it. Oh, wow. Size Ronin, and then we can shoot like bigger, better stuff. Because right now we run it with a, a Ronin M and a Sony 6300 with a yep. 10 to 18 and then recording out to the Terra deck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, the image is still, is still good, but we can only shoot, uh, you know, 24 or 30 frames a second in 4K or 60 frames in HD, and it's just kind of like a lot of the shit we shoot is 240, 300, or 1,000 frames a second. So we need to be able to shoot slower motion, so the rig's got to be bigger to support the bigger camera. Are we going to see a production version of this? I joked about Go it. on, you you know you want to. Uh, well, the Tarot sells for like 12 grand, US. Wow. And I figured I can make one with the CNC and the carbon fiber and all the materials and my time of R&D. Um, I could probably make one for six or seven thousand for the first one, and then after that, it's price you know, Order all the suspension in bulk, and you order all the wheels. So, if I did build one that was crazy, like this CNC uh, chassis that we're doing and everything else, um, we might make like two or three. Uh, the second would definitely be a backup because it's nice. Like same with our drones. Like if you pile a drone into the ground. It's really nice to just pull another drone out and be like, that's cool, we'll keep filming, as opposed to like, that's the only drone I brought. <laughs> and then ending the shoot. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I don't know. We'll see. I, I joked with Noah about making them for sale. 
And I mean, if you sold one, you'd cover the cost of making the other two. Because yeah. I'm sure shit wouldn't sell it for less than like ten or fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, totally. Especially if Nike and Reebok don't use them. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we we've got we've got behind the scenes footage of it ripping around. Um, oh, you'll have to send that to me. I'd love to see that. That'd be cool. Yeah, I I think it's on. Uh, I think you can see it actually on that NHL shoot. It's on Noah's Vimeo. Oh, okay. So if you look at Noah Thalas Vimeo, I think the behind the scenes is on there, Fantastic. where he's directing and I'm shooting a bunch of stuff. I got hit in the arm that day with a slap shot from that NHL guy. That was great. Yeah, I thought he broke my arm. Actually, I was pretty sure he broke my arm. Hundred and uh, hundred and forty-five kilometer an hour slap shot. I think is what he has. Wow. Yeah, I got lucky. He like he hit me, but not direct in the arm. It was like. Just like, skimmed it. Fuck me, contact with my arms. <laughs> really a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> well, where were you when he was taking a slap shot? Fucking behind the net like an idiot. <laughs> okay. Um, the one thing, like, I mean, I guess you'd see that. If you looked at some of my motorcycle shots, you look at some of my, well, not my old car stuff, it doesn't have it. Some of the, I do just, just stupid things to get shots. And this was like, oh, you know what would look really good is if we're, moving left to right with the net between the camera and him. And then uh, what I'll do is I'll just, you know, semi squat in the back and I'll, I'll act as like a human slider and I'll just put a little motion foreground in there. And uh, Noah said, yeah, you'll be fine. You're behind the net. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, not going to get out of the fucking way with him firing slap shots in there. He's like, yeah, okay, great. And what happened was the guy feeding him the puck fed it just a little bit wide on the same shot that I moved just a little bit quick. So my shoulder was out past the post and uh, he just missed and, uh, well, just missed the net and then smoked me in the arm. Wow. And I was holding the red at the time, right? So oh my God. Not camera you want to take a Yeah, puck. you didn't want to be dropping that. Um, and then, uh, so I gave the camera to my assistant or one of the assistants on the on the set that day, and I just kind of like walked away. And I was like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And I was like, "Just don't, just leave me alone for a minute. I just want to make sure my it's not broken." And uh, you know, I could I could move my fingers and everything, and I was like, "Okay, I don't I don't think it's broken." So I grabbed the camera. The next shot, he rifled right in, like perfect timing. Just one of those like the camera's moving, and then bam, the puck hits like right in front of the lens, and. Uh, Everyone claps, and I stand up, and I said, I like it better when uh, when you score. <laughs> and he just shook his head at me. <laughs> and then I asked how much I could sue for, because, you know, he's like a multi, multi-millionaire. <laughs> but really good guy. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, the car, the car is fun, and we've used it a ton. And the cool part about stuff like that, like little nerdy tech stuff, like I said, I guess that's my, like, tech nerd coming in. Um people love that shit. Like the first time you pull something like that out on set, people are like, what the hell is that? And you're like, Oh, that's our robotic gimbal arm that attaches to an RC car. And then you put it on, you fire it up and you run it around at 60 miles an hour or 60 kilometers an hour. Uh, and people are like, are you kidding? And then you show them the footage and they're like, what the hell? I've never seen you. Like, yeah, I know. Yeah. So it's one of those like really cool toys that you build that then, uh, increases your production value i guess it's kind of like the way you so wow factor isn't it? Yeah. five years ago yeah, nobody yeah. had drones five years ago um people were like oh man you have a drone you you must be really busy or you must make a lot of money like the big drones now you can get a drone that'll lift a dslr for like two grand yeah. so anyone can buy a uav so this was kind of like this next step in ooh, from the from clients and uh you know it was it was one of those things where you know, Noah and I were chatting, and we saw that, that tarot car thing. And uh, he said, you think you could build one of those? And I said, yeah, for sure. So we uh, kind of figured out what we needed, what the camera size was, and all that stuff. And then he just let me loose. Came back with some criticisms as to handling and this and that after, you know, driving it a bit. And so we fixed the suspension. And it's it's kind of awesome when you have – someone with like his experience and he's super nerdy too. So it works great. It's not like he's an artist that has no tech know-how. He has more technology than anyone I've ever worked with. So it's kind of cool to have that feedback between two people. 
I say the, the first time that you get the red on there and you're shooting 120 or 240 frames per second and you're doing like a, a, a tracking pan across the front of an athlete or something, that's, that slow motion is going to just going to be the insane. Yeah, yeah I mean, we put the red on it. On version two, we put the red. Oh, you've already had it on. And uh, Noah, basically, I followed the, the RC car on my motorcycle to see what the footage looked like. And as soon as Noah hit the brakes, it almost flipped over on its nose because the red so it makes it so top heavy. And that's when we realized we'd have to put one of the Sony's on there. So originally we had an A7R2 on there, and then we switched it down to the 6300. But yeah, the new one once we'll be able to put the red lower the center of gravity because I'm actually going to countersink the gimbal mount. Yep. So that right now the gimbal mount has to sit three and a half inches above the actual chassis because that's where the batteries go in the Traxxas. Fuck that, man. I'm going to make that mount part of the CNC, yep. and I'm going to drop it straight down like so that it's sitting equivalent to where the bottom of the chassis is, and then that'll lower the camera by almost four inches. Oh, sweet. Get that yeah. central gravity as low as you can, definitely. Yeah. That sounds cool. I can't wait to see the, the uh, footage that comes off that. That's going to be nuts. Yeah, that one should be spring springtime because winter we can't do shit with them here. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of work on having it developed over the next few months and then we'll have a, we'll have a working version hopefully by like April, depending mm. on how busy shit gets here. Fantastic. That's so, got to be exciting. Got to be exciting. Yeah. So what, what, what other influences uh, would you say that your work has got? Have you got, uh, anybody in particular who you, who you draw, um, inspirational influences from that uh, somebody that you follow the work um it's shifting right is that weird no no not at all like, i think we had this conversation last week actually yeah yeah right exactly so um when i first got into Photography outside of snowboarding, like, because that's all I really shot, snowboarding mm -hmm. and skateboarding when I first got into it. Um, <laughs> I was your, like, typical guy with a camera. I just wanted to shoot, like, beautiful girls and fashion and be like, yeah, this is awesome. And uh, so I loved, like, Guy Bourdain and uh, Helmut Newton and just, like, not bullshit because they're both incredible, but typical, like, fashion-y stuff. And... Then there were like a, a, a couple other photographers that I was like, yeah, that works great. And then I kind of moved into a different sort of style of photography. And then, you know, it was a particular group of photographers that you and I talked about uh, <laughs> last week where um, you look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, I like that. That's really nice. This guy's amazing. And then as your skill improves, you're like, shit, okay. He wasn't amazing. <laughs> Just knows his ratio. <laughs> and I, I find that I like the photographer as a person. Probably that matters more than liking their work. Because I've met some phenomenal photographers that are just twat waffles. And <laughs> That's I the greatest word ever. Yeah, you're gonna have to beat, you can beat that out. Um, <laughs> that's staying like, in. That's genius. Such a, how can you be such a dick? Do you know how lucky you are to do what you do for a living? Like, it sounds terrible, but sometimes you just want to punch them in the face and be like, "Wake up, man! Be thankful you get to do what you do." Like, if anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm very grateful for what I do, and yet there are photographers that I do enjoy, and there are some that I've grown past enjoying as much but they're great people so it's not like oh, i hate your work now it's just like oh you no longer influence my work yeah um, but uh yeah we'll just we'll just leave it at that so i don't sound even more like a dick <laughs> there are photographers that i like can i name any right now because my brain's already in like overdrive about other photographers no <laughs> um Greg Williams, there you go. Look up his showreel on Vimeo. Um, he's kind of like a celebrity commercial photographer, cinematographer guy. He was one of the first photographers to start shooting on the red. like, And I mean like pulling stills from the red video feed. Oh, okay. Um, he shoots a little bit of everything. 
that's all amazing. It's just beautiful. And some of it's natural light and some of it's really crazy studio stuff. Um, Chris Nichols, who, not the TCS TV. I was going to say, I like Chris Nichols. Um, Chris Nichols is a fashion photographer. Um, really, really cool stuff. And then um, Stoud Studios, I think I, did I send you that link? The, the German like car photographer. The shit oh, is yeah, yeah, yeah. looks yeah. fake. It's so incredible. Um, and then, uh, shit, I totally forgot where I was going with that one. There was another one that was great. Oh, and um, Matt Barnes, oddly enough. So Matt Barnes is out of Toronto. He's uh, he's not young. He's younger. Like he's not like some of the other like fifty year olds. Um, he's out of a studio called West Side uh, in Toronto, and um, he shoots like TV promotional stuff plus commercial plus porn star creatives, um, which is kind of crazy. But uh, his his work's incredible. And it's just like, it's a total mix. So like sometimes on his feed, I think his Instagram is Matt Barnes photo and it's B-A-R-N-E-S. Um, you'll get a mix of like when he was in Indochina and working, you know, with natural light and really shallow depth of field versus crazy 10 light studio girl porn star stuff that not in like porn porn, but the stars and then he shot some advers or some photo ads for Shit's Creek, which is a TV show here. Okay. And like his work is just very crisp, very solid. And it's you you look at or I look at his stuff and just think, man, that's it's really nice work. Can you still and, can you still see see like a solid style go between his studio stuff and his um, natural light stuff? Um, not really. It's kind of cool. Like if you, I bet if you showed people a bunch of his natural light work, which is usually like personal stuff when he's on vacation or whatever, and then you showed studio stuff, I bet they wouldn't assume that it's the same photographer, which is really cool because it makes you a lot more diverse, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously Joe Yell, which is kind of funny because for a long time I loved him or his work like years and years ago. Which is like, oh man, it's so amazing! This little Canadian guy, blah blah. And then I just kind of, for a while, I was like, yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it's all right, but I got bored of it. And then I just saw some shit of his pop up in my feed not too long ago, and I was like, oh man, I totally forgot he existed. Yeah. And it, because you get you get like carried away in certain demographics, right? Like for a long time, excuse me, for a long time, I was paying attention to motorcycle photographers, yeah, automotive photographers, and only now have I sort of started to come back to portrait photographers again. And, uh, man, that, like, the work he did for that, like, coffee calendar uh, this year. Yeah. And then the other, like, the series before that, just blown away by those images. They look so natural because they're so perfectly lit. Yeah, you can't see the lighting at all. It's unbelievable. And... You know, you see the one and you're like, wow, that's cool. This foggy valley with this like clam fisherman or oyster fisherman and his son. And they're just out in the river. And then you watch the that dudes with cameras or whatever. Where you're like, holy fuck, you filled that valley with fog in the morning. And then you did, you're like, oh, okay, whoa, this is awesome. And it was like another one of those. All right. So he's back. He's back in, in the list. And then same, um, oddly enough, with uh, Von Wong. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. Benjamin Von Wong? Yeah. I didn't even know who he was. Like, a couple of years ago, I had no idea. Someone was like, oh, there's a Von Wong thing. I was like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and then he popped up in, I want to say it's like Petapixel, because I don't really, I don't follow F-stoppers or anything. Yeah, it had to be Petapixel. Something came up, and I was just like, holy shit. And so I watched a few of his, of his, like, YouTube videos, and then I went through and looked at some of his portrait series and stuff. And, man, between his, like, shooting and comp and, like, overall processing work was unbelievable so i'm back in the like uh discovery phase again which is really weird right i'm, I'm in the like i need new photographers to follow i need new shit to look at because i'm just consistently now being blown away by people that i had no yeah. idea even existed. Yeah. and it's really cool to have that feeling again because for a while i was like whatever i'm making my mortgage payments it's fine and now that i'm trying to get back to more creative and less business 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 
I find that I'm on the hunt for other like creative influences. But yes, through uh, the short answer, if you want to edit all that out, is uh, through my time as a photographer from 1990 whatever when I first picked up a camera to now, it consistently changes within years. <laughs> so you can you can you can put out an abridged version that fits into like 10 minutes and not two hours. <laughs> Where's the fun in that? <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Man, so, that dude just rambles. Yeah, I do. So I, I continually like glance out the window at my neighborhood because I've never sat in this room in my house before. So I saw a whole new, whole new view view of your neighborhood for you. Yeah, and no, my house isn't that big. I just I was like, ah, fuck it, it's the guest room. I've never. Yeah, you know, you're in the West Wing. It's the quietest area of the house right now, so I'm in here. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, a couple of uh, rapid fire questions then. Uh, you've got one lens to use for the next year. What's it going to be? That depends on the format of the camera. Oh, because you're shooting all the. Well, let's, so go, medium, 30, let's go medium format. 35 millimeter, 35 1.4. Okay. Medium format. Uh, I would choose the one, the Schneider 150 leaf shutter. So why, why wide angle for the 35 mil? I wasn't expecting that. Uh, so my very, my very first camera that I, oh man, this is going to be a long one too. So my very first camera that I ever had was my dad's FE2 and it had a 51.8 and then like a 35, I can't even remember, like some bullshit old Nikkor 35. 2.8. And then, and, um, as I went along i got zooms and i got whatever and i found that i oddly enough i i lived in 35 range the most sort of like between 28 and 50 and then as i switched from zooms to primes only i found that 35 stayed on my camera the most because it's not really wide but it's wide enough and portraits uh 35 mil like one four portraits look cool as fuck um totally different than what you would normally shoot but 35 also gives you the opportunity to still capture a bit of the, the environment. environment. Yeah. So 35 to me plays out a little better. Um, and then in the on the phase side, I would choose that 150 leaf shutter because, uh, well, a uh, the compression is really nice. The depth of field control is beautiful. It's a high shutter. Uh, like high sync speed, right? One sixteen hundredth. Um, even though it misses focus all the fucking time, I've never had a lens that is shittier to focus than that thing. Um, but it, when it hits, it is beautiful. So is it weird that like, I guess one fifty would be like nine. Uh, well, on the P forty plus, it's like ninety ish millimeter. Okay. Um, so is it weird that like my one choice is semi-wide and my other is like definitely not that's what I, I wasn't expecting the 35 i wasn't expecting the 35 mil. um because i'll be honest my on my a7r2 like my sony uh that zeiss 3514 they gave me hardly ever comes off that <laughs> the story dictates it like unless i need that compression or that wider it's like if i if i if i take a small job that's like really quick and not a ton of setup I, fuck man i i just shot like three jobs last week with nothing but that lens and the r2 i love it i, I think like it gives you just enough separation being one four not a ton of compression at 35 and when you do portraits with it it's pretty rad yeah so if i'm a portrait so an interesting interesting one to get right but uh, definitely definitely a completely different because nobody shoots this nobody shoots portraits at 35 mil so they look very distinctive when you see them and you can change the story yep. you change the height of your camera or the angle to camera to subject angle everything changes yeah. like a 150 if you shoot a little bit lower a little bit high yeah i mean yeah. you can kind of make them look a little bit stronger or a little bit weaker but with a fucking 35 man if you shoot from waist height angling up that person looks so strong and so powerful and on the other side if you put a ton of negative space in the top of the frame and shoot down from them they are immediately shrunk through like just that touch of barreling that you get yeah. in the 30 yeah. right yeah you lose a so superhero pose you, and it goes to can, a little bit more interest yeah you can fuck cool. the subject with a 35 so if you go back uh to when you started um so 
let's go back to when you were 20. What advice would you give your 20 year old self? Hold on, what was I doing at 20? I've had five concussions and a fractured skull, so nothing <laughs> 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 like deep reception here. <laughs> like 20, what was I doing? Uh, oh, I was snowboarding for a living. Nothing. No advice. No advice. Keep doing it. Uh, no, it would be pick up a camera uh, more seriously than just kind of fucking about, as it were. Because um, I started playing with cameras when I was 18 or 19, and that was all snowboarding and skateboarding. And uh, I read a lot of I read a lot of technical books, obviously, because they said I was like a technical nerd. Um, and it was film, so you couldn't look at the fucking back of the camera and be like, oh, I need to be a little bit brighter. You were like, hey, I'm going to spend my, you know, my paycheck from the grocery store while I'm in school to get these roles developed to be like, holy shit, I just spent $17 and I have one photo to show for it that I like. Um, it would be take more, take more time, focus more on lighting, and then hopefully I'd be a lot further along than I am now. Oh. So if you fast, fast forward to when did, when did you start digital? 2005? Uh, full-time digital was, yeah, 0506, maybe hard to pinpoint. Okay, so let's force, fast forward to 0506. What, what advice would you give yourself in 2005, 2006, looking back now? Spend more money on lighting, less on cameras. It's lighting. It all goes back to lighting. God, man, I used to spend so much money on like new lenses and new camera bodies and different filters and, and camera bags and all that bullshit. And I was a student, like starving student or working at a shitty corporate studio. And whenever I'd have money saved up, I'd be like, oh, well, this camera's 12.1 megapixel and that last one was only eight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it wasn't until I started working with with Noah in late 2006. So really I'd be telling myself this like six months before Noah told me this, which was <laughs> stop spending money on cameras and start spending money on lighting. <laughs> and, uh, I have probably earned more money with uh, my lighting ability and my wonderful personality uh, <laughs> more, um. more than I have with what, uh, what camera I've been shooting with. Like I said, man, I bought that Hasselblad thinking like, fuck yeah, I'm going to make a ton of money because I'm shooting medium format and that's all that matters. And now I look back and I'm like, man, I should have spent that like $15,000 on lighting and just kept my D3? Wow. Maybe? Is that what I had? That's that bad boy. A D3 and a D300? Does that sound right? That sounds right. Yeah. Maybe a, D3, maybe a D3 and a D200. No, it was the 300 because the... The next one did video, the 310 or whatever it was, right? The... 300S. That's the one. That 300S. 300S did video, yeah. The 300. Not that it matters in the grand scheme of the listeners, but yes, it was a D3 and a D300. And then I went and spent stupid amounts of money on a Hasselblad. Oh, Hasselblad. Wow. Yeah, I got a really big architectural job, and I was just like, woo, I'm moving to medium format. So I took all the, almost all the money from that job and went and bought a Hasselblad like a loser. Did you get a tilt shift lens to go with it, or were you... Uh... No, I bought uh, I bought the fifty to one ten, which was like thirty one equivalent. So, so uh, still... the thing wasn't even wide enough to shoot a lot of the jobs wow. that I ended up moving to. So I used to rent um, the twenty eight, the HC twenty eight, which, which is, is about fifty. Lens, what's that? Is that about fifty mil equivalent? Uh, twenty eight would be like seven seventeen or eighteen mil. Seventeen. Because 35 is like 23, so that's not. Yeah, yeah. And the only reason I didn't buy the 35 to 90 was because it was like 10 grand uh, or 8 grand or something like that. And I got a smoking deal through Hasselblad on the 50 to 110. And then I compared the 50 prime, the 80 prime, and the 110 or the 120 prime to every focal length that the 50 to 110 had. And you couldn't tell the difference. I, I had never oh, wow. seen a zoom lens because I had shot primes for like yeah. half a, for like five or six years at that point where I was like, man, fuck zooms. They're so dumb. And uh, I bought this zoom after testing it for like a week through the camera store being like, this zoom is as sharp as the, holy shit. I mean, not wide open, wide open. The primes were sharper, but 
at the range where I was shooting for architecture and portraits, you couldn't beat it. And I would have I would have had to buy twenty one thousand dollars in lenses, uh, in primes. Sorry, <laughs> to replace that one <laughs> lens. So uh, through uh, Chris Nichols, not the fashion photographer, but the TCS team, Chris Nichols, uh, I got a I got a smoking deal uh, through Hasselblad for that lens, and I bought that. And then for the bigger architectural jobs where we were in smaller spaces, I'd rent that twenty eight. Because okay. I didn't have any 35 mil gear. I sold it all because I was like, 35 mil's dumb. I'm going to shoot medium format because I'm cool. Uh, that would be other advice I'd give old self is don't sell all your 35 mil gear because uh, it's easier to run cheaper jobs on 35 mil for workflow. <laughs> so what uh, what camera, either camera body, camera system, uh, haven't you shot yet that you would like to? <laughs> Existing currently or possibly coming to the market? Ooh, well, I know what's coming to the market, so I know what that answer's going to be. Go on, do, do, do both. So pre-existing, um, avoiding large format because it's not that doesn't really count. Um, the RZ Pro 2, because I've only ever shot with an RB67. Okay. Oh, you know what? Or the Pentax 67. Pentax 67, yeah. Ah, fuck. Or the Fuji uh, 690. I've still yeah. got to pick one of those up. The giant Fuji. The 690G. The GW6... 693 or 6... 693, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. G6, G693. Um, Fuji one. That's a big I brick. I shot with it, but I would fucking love to because that is a negative that anyone can get behind. <laughs> 6x9? Oh my god, it'd be amazing. I want the Fuji 617. Oh god, like the Hassi X-Pan. Yeah. Panorama. Um, and then for, for systems coming out, definitely that new Fuji mirrorless. Yep. Uh, medium format. That's the only one that I'm like, what? Yeah. Because I got to see the Hasselblad. Eh. I mean, that's cool, I guess. It is really cool what they tried to do. And then Fuji just gave them like a giant fuck you when they came out with that thing. Yeah. And everybody knew that Fuji was coming out. Like I had talked to a couple like uh, Fuji X. Um, it's funny that they call them X photographers. And you're like, really? Because when you say that, you're not reading the letter X. The X, 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 yeah. You're thinking like, oh, they're no longer with Fuji. <laughs> you're like, no, not that kind of X. Like X branding. It doesn't even uh, work if they say X pro photographers either. They need to figure out another way of saying that. Yeah, that the X Pro sounds like oh they couldn't make their mortgage payment, so now they're a shop foreman and they just shoot weddings <laughs> on the side. <laughs> um, yeah, the, weird. Both systems Fuji, odd. Because I owned a Fuji. Um, I had the S2 Pro and the S3 Pro, and they were up until like new technology. Those were the best DSLRs I'd ever used in my life. Yeah, the color rendering out of that S3 Pro was ridiculous. Had the best color science of anything I had ever used until, like, you know, the last five years. Eight years, maybe. Crazy. Um, and then I had an X100 that I just loved. But anyway, yeah, oddly enough, both systems Fuji. Uh, Fuji. Yeah, don't tell Sony. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that might be a little... I'll keep it quiet. <laughs> Brilliant. So have you got, before we finish up, have you got any asks or requests for the people who are listening? Something that you might want them to do or go and see or search for? Oh, man. I don't know. Uh, if it's... Can you hear my dog growling? No. <laughs> no, I can't hear Winston. Just all of a sudden there's just this... And I was like, I don't know, buy a dog? Is that <laughs> Baby um, Winston. I don't know if you're photography related, you'll learn more from assisting than anything else. I spent years in photo school and I learned more in assisting. Um, reach out to people whose work you like, I guess, and see, and hopefully they're not dicks and they actually get back to you. No, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I, that, I, I don't know. I, I don't really consider myself a, a someone that people should ask advice from. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, I, I fluked into to where, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of hard work, but I mean, I fluked into the actual ability to do this full time. Um, 
I guess if you only get one shot at this and no one else gets out alive, you fucking do your best to do what you love every day. Uh, I think I, I learned that uh, when my dad died. It was just one of those like, man, he spent like so many years in an office saving up for retirement and like not being able to like wait until he could retire and him and my mom are going to move to California and they just golf every day, you know, like the white collar dream. And then he died like, uh, less than a year after you retired. So it was, I think it was, that was my like moment where I was like, Nope. Okay. I don't care if I like can barely make money at it or if I have to struggle for a really long time, I'm only doing what I love. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I had done, I had done, they were all supportive and I had always been able to kind of do what I loved sort of as a job with the like, Hey, when are you going to get a real job anticipation from them? Uh, but then, yeah, after he, uh, after he died, I think my brother and I both kind of realized that you just, you chase that dream that, you know, I think about it in the way that would you still do what you do as a job if money didn't matter? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If I, for some reason, had some crazy trust fund and didn't have to work or won the lottery, sure as shit, I'd still do everything that I still do. I'd probably just have a nicer truck. <laughs> but uh, You'd have that Porsche Cayenne. Megapixel backs. But uh, no, I mean, I, I would 100% do exactly what I do now. Um, and I can't stress enough that if you if you're really passionate about something or you really like doing something, find out a way to do it. Even if it's only part-time at first, I yeah. mean, that's what, yeah. that's what this was for me. Um, and do, do research, watch, I mean, I watch creative live. Is that still a thing? Creative live? Um, it, 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 yes, it is. It's slightly watered down a little bit now to, to what uh, we're used to, what we have watched in the past. Um, but yeah. uh, it's still, it's still a creative app. I don't enough time on like the photo internets anymore. Um, but in, in general, I guess that applies like chase what you want and, yeah. and, and do what you want. And if you really want to do it, you'll find a way or you'll find out there's the last thing you want to try and do for a living. Um, I had that with golf, man. That was the prime example. I, I worked and I had a coach and I like, I spent 10 hours a day, seven days a week, um, getting my golf game to where I could. And once I did it for you know, a couple, couple seasons or a couple years, whatever you want to call it, I realized like, fuck no, I don't want to do this for a living. This sucks. It took all the fun out of golf. Uh, so I, uh, I, I quit being like a golf pro and all that shit. And then photography, I took a stab at and, uh, I didn't enjoy shooting weddings, but I was able to make money from them. I didn't enjoy shooting real estate headshots, but I was able to make money from them. And every time I progress a little bit further, I just cut out something that I don't enjoy. So I didn't really enjoy weddings. So as soon as I could afford to not shoot weddings anymore, gone. As soon as I could afford not to shoot real estate, gone. Christmas parties, gone. Family photos, gone. Like, I mean, it's probably a terrible business decision because I'd probably make a lot more money than I do now if I continued to shoot weddings and and all that stuff. But I didn't want to do what I loved and I didn't want it to get tainted by a specific discipline of doing what I love that I didn't enjoy. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, for me, weddings and family portraits and corporate events were polluting the purity or the, or the love of photography that I had because I no longer enjoyed shooting them. So at that point, photography felt like a job. Now with the shit I shoot, it never feels like a job. I mean, maybe some of the 3 a.m. wake-up calls feel like jobs. But <laughs> once you're on set, they don't feel like jobs. Yeah. So as far as looking up, I don't know. My social media presence is dumb. There's nothing. My website's like four years old. My Twitter doesn't exist. <laughs> it's like a dumping ground for Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, it's, I think it's Ryan HK Photographer. Shit, I don't know. You'd have to check. Um, and then my Instagram is Ryan HK underscore. But again, it's kind of, like, it's kind of boring. I, I don't know. I'm not like an awesome person to follow on social media. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too... It sucks. I should. I really should focus more because I do social media branding for like some clients where I'm like, here we shot all these. Let's just post them here. Let's get you a new website. <laughs> I'm a terrible example of this because I haven't updated shit in forever. Um, but that's. I guess that's good, right? When you're busy, you're like, oh, I'm too busy to update my website. But how much business am I losing by not having an up-to-date website? <laughs> what came first, chicken or the end? Too cheap. Only too cheap. 
I don't know. What that's again is like a super HK long rendering of what I should have said. Uh, yeah, assist. Don't go to photo school. You don't have to. There's so much more that you can learn off the internet that is free. And um, don't be a jack of all trades. There's one. Don't do ah, everything. Okay. Pick a. Can I say genre? Pick a genre. Yeah. Photography. A discipline. Yeah. Genre and discipline both work. Okay. Pick a focus. Like you, man. Automotive, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you went from shooting, like, tennis events and all of that other stuff and everything to, like, focusing on cars, and now you fucking shoot cars all the time. It's the perfect example. Would you do what you do for free? Hell yeah. If you didn't have to? I d- I, yeah, the, the Tesla shoot that I did last Wednesday, that was, that's a, that, was a personal, that was a personal project. Um, yeah. I've got a couple of other personal projects that I'm coming up, which are just I, I really need to shoot, really need to shoot this car. There was one um, one that's come up recently that uh, I was at a car show and turned around the corner and the car was there that I photographed when I was 14 uh, with um, yeah, one of my old photo, one of the racetracks. Yeah, yeah, that ERA. And so I've got their contact details. I've got to go and uh, I've got to go and uh, finish off a shoot and kind of do full circle. And so I'm going to go around and shoot that at some point. But uh, yeah, it's definitely it's good advice because you've got to f- find out which you are passionate about and you have a key to what is going to make you happy. Um, definitely, yeah, definitely. I mean, you, can't, you can't be an you can't be an expert in everything. You can't be a expert wedding portrait event commercial baby photographer. Pick one. You pick one fucking thing and get really, really, really good at it. Yeah. And also, don't be a dick. <laughs> there's, there's <my laughs> Top three, top three Ryan HK tips. She's going to get that tattoo. Don't be a dick. Uh, <laughs> you know, I know how lucky I am to, to be where I am and to have, fl- like, basically, like I said, man, fluked into a job big enough that I didn't have to get a real job and I could use that money to survive and kind of focus on my photography career. And, you know, some people, once they get to a certain stage, they just kind of, they belittle people and they trash people's work. And creative criticism is one thing, but, just being a dick for the sake of being a dick if if you're making your living at this you should you should realize like with anything not just photography but if you make your living as a musician or even anything in the creative arts fields where people would die to do what you do be grateful whether like i mean no matter how hard you had to work to get there and you think like oh you, you just want all this for free anyway i'm not gonna go into it because it'll be another super long hk thing just be supportive of everybody I guess. Is that brilliant. weird? That's weird. Yeah, no, that's spot on. I think that's a, that's a absolutely brilliant to finish up on as well. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you, man. It's, yeah. Uh, it's well, been too long. Like, looking over at the time and like, damn. All right, I don't know anyone that's going to want to do two hours of me rambling. <laughs> okay. I'll let you know what the well, analy- analytics are like. <laughs> in this microwave generation or this Insta, Insta 15 second generation, thanks for hanging out for two hours. <laughs> listening to me just babble <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure i've enjoyed listening yeah. yeah i've enjoyed it so i mean i guess it's it's audio right it's not like they're gonna sit there with video you can sit and listen to it in your car so yeah do that when you're traveling as chris says a very far away which is two hours <laughs> you, can, you can listen to this whole thing whereas in calgary that's a small commute <laughs> England twice in the time it takes me to get to the like northern section of where I live. Um, yeah, no, this was awesome, man. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. No worries. Thank you very much. Uh, weird. I don't know that I'm. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's on. Yeah. Okay. Cool. No worries. Right. Cool. Thanks very much. Yeah, that is. Uh... Polymath episode. Uh, we're all finished up. That is the first interview. That was Ryan HK, Mr. Photographer over in Calgary. Uh, thank you very much, man. Cheers. And there we have it. That is the full interview with Ryan HK. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, It's been a lot of fun to do my first interview, and hopefully I will carry on. We've got a number more to do uh, that I've got lined up. We've got a friend of mine who is an ex-Formula 1 mechanic and engineer, a um, fitness PT who is incredibly clever uh, and incredibly well-versed with a lot of experience. And obviously we might even do a quick interview on Ash as well and get him on, uh, but as a bit more of a target 
in terms of uh, who is talking um, and really delve into into his life and where he's come from. But uh, yes, we have, or I have, plenty of interviewees who I want to tackle. And hopefully, if you keep listening, we shall get some of those out over the next few weeks. Thank you very much, guys. As always, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, just as Chris Frosin. That's F-R-O-S-I-N. I urge you to find Ryan on Instagram as well and give him a follow. And um, until next time, keep it up and I'll see you soon. Thank you very much.